Hi, this is Ron Mars. I've written Green Lantern and Silver Surfer and Marvel vs. DC and a bunch of other stuff. And you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Paulie. One take wrong. That's what, that's what we've done. <laughs> I know. It, it, we thought you'd be out of practice, but no. It's It's been a long time since we've done one of these, too. <clears throat> this is true, but it's been, you know, everybody's coming out of the woodwork now because there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. So we're like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? In this abundance of, of time that everyone <laughs> seems to have on their hands during the uh, coronavirus, how's that affecting you? Uh, you, know, you know, honestly... Very little, because this is what I do anyway. Um, I, I didn't realize it, but apparently I was quarantined most of the time anyway. <laughs> You've been sheltering in place all your professional life? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> honestly, you know, I, I work at home. Um, the only thing that I that I really kind of miss is going to the gym once a day. Other than that, there was not a whole lot of reason for me to leave the house beforehand. So um, this is, you know, with the exception of missing out on my gym time. This is kind of standard operating procedure, and there's, you know, there's work in front of me to to do. Um, so it just, um, it's not a whole lot different. But boy, I'll tell you that, you know, the, not being able to go to the gym really makes you miss it that much more. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually agree with that, uh, oddly enough. You know, you mentioned just the, the social distancing aspect, you know, that you've been staying at home, you've been working, rolling it right into a question here. Um so you're still working, right? I mean, you know, we hear that a lot. Uh, you're, at least social media would have you believe that everyone's putting their pencils down or whatever the heck it is. So you're still, you know, business as usual. Yeah, everything. Like, I haven't had to stop on anything that I'm working on, which is, um, I guess, kind of just, just dumb luck. Uh, I know a lot of people are not in that position. So I I appreciate that that I'm – the stuff that I'm doing right now is stuff that – Everybody says, yeah, just just keep going. Some of it's, you know, some of it's ominous press stuff that we're, you know, have we've had in the works for a while. Some of it's original graphic novel stuff that I've got other places where, you know, it's it's not split up into monthly books. It's not, you know, we're we're more like, you know, you, you have to turn in 150 pages in December. That's that's your deadline. So there's no, you know, OK, we're not going to put this book out monthly. You, you just need to stop now. You know, when you look at the impact to publishers and comic shops, you know, we've been talking about it on our, on our podcast for you know the last two, three weeks, you know, about the impact of, of the quarantine. Uh, what path do you see forward? What, you, do you see, you know, a, a solution to this other than just waiting for everything to calm down? Man, I, you know, boy, if I, if I had the solution, I'd be, I'd be really smart. Um <laughs> It's I think I think the uncertainty is the is the rough part of it, because, you know, nobody really knows when things are going to start to open back up again. Um, And I don't think anybody knows what it's going to look like when it does open up back up again. And I don't think there's going to be any, you know, I don't think there's going to be any one size fits all answer for any of this stuff. I'm 
I mean, I'm in New York State, and we were we were pretty far ahead of the curve in terms of closing things down and closing schools and businesses having to shutter. Um, obviously, there you know there are places in the South that that still aren't doing that, which I think will come back to bite them in the ass in two or three weeks. Well, uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of people who are at church on Sunday that that's going to be problematic for. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess you. I mean, if 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 your choices only affected you. That would be fine. Right. But unfortunately, everybody's choices now affect everybody else. So, uh, you know, I I think obviously, again, this is from the New York State perspective. It looks like we're starting to kind of plateau in terms of cases. And it looks like the number of deaths are starting to go down a little bit. So maybe the, the social distancing, we're, we're now seeing the effects of that and starting to mitigate the, the spread of it. Um but does that mean that comic shops can open up in June? I, I don't know. And even if it means the comic shops in New York State can open up in June, what does that mean for somebody in Alabama right. or, or Utah? Um, it's just – it's all so unknowable. And it, and it really makes – I think it makes you sit up and take notice in terms of how we are selling comics to people. Um, we have one distributor that gets all of the comics into all of the shops around the country. Um, and if that distributor decides we're not going to do that now, everybody's kind of held hostage to it. I, you know, obviously coming out of this, I think there's going to have to be some real, real deep thought about how how we do this going forward. Um, because, you know, th- there's no there's no saying that this isn't going to happen again. Right. You know, in five years or 10 years, there's another there's another virus that sweeps through the country and we have to close down everything again. Um, so I think, um, I think just like selling comics and distribution in general is not a one size fits all answer. There's a lot of different answers. They're all slices of the, of the pie in terms of how we sell these things. Um, I think the solutions are probably going to be different slices of a pie too. digital original graphic novels, obviously Kickstarter, like, you know, Kickstarter stuff, isn't really affected to any great extent because you can still send stuff out as long as, you know, as long as they, as long as they don't shut down the post office. Um, (laughs) not that, not that any sane person would do that. As long as they don't shut down the post office, we can still send, you know, we can still get stuff direct to direct to readers. Um, so I think the industry in general is trending toward original graphic novels. Um, at least for part of the, part of the market, part of the audience, I think this will just kind of speed up that process. Um, you know, any of the, any of the OGNs that are, that are underway are probably not affected by this to any great extent. I'm working on, like I said, a 150 page graphic novel that, that Rick Leonardi is drawing right now. And, you know, we didn't, there wasn't even a discussion over whether we needed to stop. The thing is due in, in December. So right. we're, you know, we just have to, if anything, work faster. You know, speaking of your of your comics work, uh, I read the first three issues of Turok today in uh, preparation for our conversation. And, you know, until I, I looked out there, I didn't realize that you had written a run on Turok. And I got to tell you, that book is badass. I, oh, uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of my frustrations with previous in- interpretations of Turok is that it feels like uh, – 
my cheese keeps getting moved, right? You know, the stuff that I want in a Turok book, I, I just have to keep waiting for. I don't, I don't get it right up front. But the the book hits you right in the face from the beginning, uh, you know, from the first page of the first book, uh, and just continues on. And you know, I, I I I I kind of had to make the choice: do I actually go and have the interview with Ron, or do I continue reading? You know, book four. I, oh, I, totally, to do I totally would have kept reading because <laughs> I got to tell you that 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 title is awesome. Well, you know, it's like you, there are some books you just you don't need to overthink. When when Dynamite came to me and said, "What's your take on Turok?" and I said, "My take is it's a guy who fights dinosaurs." Um, you know what? Yeah. What more do you really need to know? Um, and I know I've said this in in other interviews. You know, nobody shows up to a Jurassic Park movie. To see what the humans are doing, right? So, um, you know, give us dinosaurs. At at a certain point, we're all we're, we're all ten years old again, mm-hmm. and we just want to see dinosaurs. So that's really how I approach that that book. Um, and I and I wanted to make sure that I wanted to make it mine in the sense that it's a you know it's a western um, because I really wanted to write a western right. um, that then goes obviously to a place that's that's not the old west anymore. Right. Um, but um, I I wanted to make sure that we were were true to what makes that damn book work, which is hey, here's some dinosaurs and here's some Native Americans and they have to fight the dinosaurs. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I didn't put the lie to any previous version of Turok. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to all sort of I wanted it to all sort of count. And I guess as you get into issues four and five, you'll you'll decide whether I did a good job of that or not. Well, and issue three reveals that, right? Where you see the alt, the alternate universe Turoks, I guess, or the, the other reality Turoks. Uh, I, I, I really, I, I, I thought that was great. I, I really did. I, I, and I don't mean this to just be the Aaron gushes about Ron's, uh, writing, uh, podcast, but I, I just, but, I but, really, but if that's it. what it turns into, that's fine. Let's just, <laughs> you're okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I really did. I, I, I really like Turok. Turok's a, a favorite character of mine, uh, but I do feel like more often than not, we miss the mark uh, in you know more modern uh, uh, tales or more recent tales. But I, I really, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the three books that I've read, and I'm going to finish the rest of it tonight. So cool, uh, thanks. I, I had a I had a ball doing it, and you know we knew that we knew that we had five issues out of the gate, right? And when you do a book like Turok, that um, is kind of a classic concept. Uh, you know that the sales battle is an uphill one. Sure. Um, so the the you know the initial storyline was planned for five issues, and that's what we got out of it. Now there are certainly other places that the story can go um, if it ever comes to pass that we can do more. Um, but I you know I'm really glad I got to go in and do my do my thing, uh, do my. You know, here's here's Turok and here's Andar and there's a bunch of dinosaurs. There's a bunch of dinosaurs. There's some cavalry dudes because you want to see some guys get eaten by dinosaurs. I was a ten year old boy writing the book as well as as well as reading it. Well, it's it's a beautiful book. It's extremely well written, and I highly recommend it. I I, I was super jazzed. It was a super fun book, and I got to tell you, I, you know, I, the the uh, the books that are uh, really hitting me right between the eyes right now are the ones that are just a good time, right? You know, that are, that are just, you know, a great big rollicking adventure, which is everything that I, that I got out of that book. It was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. 
you did that one for Dynamite. You're, you're, you did Rising Sun, which is also a, a recent bit of work from you. With uh, You wrote that with uh, David Rodriguez. Is that correct? Yep. Dave is, uh, Dave's been a buddy of mine for uh, probably longer than I want to admit. 15 years, <laughs> 20 years, something like that. Um, and, and the art was with uh, Martin Kokolo? Yeah, uh, we needed. You know, we were doing a we were doing a book set in, uh, you know, set in sort of a a quasi semi realistic uh, feudal Japan. So we needed an Italian dude to draw it. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Yeah, uh, and Martin did a, just a tremendous job. He's terrific. Now that, that book that book is uh, for IDW and mm-hmm. is a video game is based off a video game is that correct based off a board game a board game uh, wow okay this is yeah i mean this is the first time in my career i've actually done a book based on a board game um and it's uh it's from come on games and uh if you have ever seen one of their you, you probably have seen their games on kickstarter uh and they do these you know incredibly you know, beautifully art-driven games with a lot of different plastic pieces and um, really elaborate board game stuff. Um, and the, you know, the Kickstarters they do regularly go over, you know, a million dollars. Really, you know, popular company, popular games. And I can remember when um, when Rising Sun first hit Kickstarter as a game. I thought, man, I would I would love to have that, even though. I'm not really a gamer per se because I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. But everything looks so cool um, that uh, that I was like, man, I, I think I need to have that even just as a thing to to sit on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I forgot that I needed to order it and didn't do it. <laughs> the Kickstarter was up. Um, so then last year, IDW got in touch and said, hey, we're you know we're going to do some games based on based on the board games from these guys. Which which one are you interested in? That's the one I immediately gravitated towards. Huh? I, I, you know, I was gonna I was gonna ask you how how that came about because you know you you've done a, a a lot of licensed work over the years. You know, I, you know Star Wars and uh, you know Torok and 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 you know Rising Sun and others. And so they they were already in talks with you and just said, hey, you want to pitch on this or you know how did that how did that happen? Um. I, I guess they just went, oh, you know, there's a uh, – the the editor is uh, David Hedgecock, who I've done a bunch of stuff for out at IDW and is a terrific guy. And I have I have managed to convince him that I'm I'm good at world building hmm. uh, and because uh, that's what he said in his email. Hey, <laughs> pretty good at that world building stuff. We kind of – you know, we kind of need to take this game concept and flesh it out. Would you be interested? So did you uh, add that immediately to your resume? Oh yeah, and on oh, your totally. LinkedIn. <laughs> um, so, um, so you know, and as it worked out, uh, Dave Rodriguez, who I've, I've written a bunch of the um, <clears throat> of the Skylanders comics with, uh, because Dave works at the local video game company, Vicarious Visions, uh, as a narrative director, and I have done a bunch of work for Vicarious Visions as well, thanks to Dave bringing me in on projects. Including Skylanders, including the Skylanders games. Um, so I have done tours of duty at uh, Vicarious Visions, helping to write the games. So when Skylanders uh, ended up, uh, the license ended up at IDW, they called and said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to write Skylanders comics?" And I was like, "Sure." 
because I had a ball doing the games and Dave came along for the ride. And so we've been, we've been doing a number of things together um, when we can. And Dave's, and Dave's certainly written his own comics as well. So um, it, it just seemed like a natural fit to have, um, to have Dave involved in, in rising sun because he knows some of the guys that developed the game and uh, it made, uh, it made the whole process easier to it, not that there were a lot of rules in terms of, of getting the game mechanics into the comic at all or anything like that, but just in terms of understanding the world that they've created and kind of uh, making sure that making sure that everything we were doing fit into the conceptual framework of the game. You mentioned Skylanders and that, that kind of brings up a question for me in regards to uh, that was a few years ago. Um, you know, the, the time passes so fast. I don't, I don't even remember the exact year that Skylanders came out, but I know, you know, for a while, this stuff, uh, gosh, five years ago, I guess it has been a while since we spoke. Um, you know, Sp- Skylanders is a, in kind of a, an offshoot of Spyro, if I remember correctly. And it's the, it was this larger universe game. And it was around the time where things like, Skylanders and Disney Infinity, and I think there was a Lego version of of things were really big. Then you would buy the the figures, and you know the figures you could you know collect the figures, and they would interact with the game as well. Um, you know, it, it, how was that experience writing a video game? And you know, it, it's almost like you're writing something that has instant toys. You know, um, you know, you've got this story, this interactive story. Was that your first experience working in the video game world, and and especially in such a unique area of the video game world? How was that for you? Um, I had actually done other video game stuff already. I worked on you know one of the Spider-Man games and Marvel Ultimate Alliance two, um, uh, all of that, at, all of that at Vicarious Visions too. Um, certainly, Skylanders was a little different in that um, it was it had a specific age range we were targeting but we wanted to make sure that um the games and the characters were 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 pretty welcoming to anybody um and certainly we did the same thing in the comics we tried to make sure that um they kind of worked like um like the old warner brothers cartoons where you know kids would really get a really get a kick out of you know daffy duck's bill being blown to the other side of his head but the some of the some of the clever undercurrent stuff is you know the the witticisms of Bugs Bunny and we tried to make sure that it that it worked on a few different levels um, and and to a certain extent that's how we approached the how we approached the video game too obviously we couldn't we couldn't go too far afield and and um, put anything in the game that was inappropriate or or you know a little uh, a little tawdry. But we tried to make sure that the stuff was, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, kind of clever. Um, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of out of the whole process. It was um, it was really it was it was an education for me in being part of a very large team because you're working with a lot of people who are making this game. You know, two, three hundred people just in Vicarious in the Vicarious Vision Studio alone. Um, and everybody sort of sublimates their personal stuff for the good of the game, which is, is different than we do in comics. You know, in comics, it's at most five or six people producing the thing. And it's very much your thing with your name on it. And in video games, everybody, um, you know, everybody's a part of a huge team and it's not really yours. It's ours. It's, it's something that everybody, um, everybody is invested in, but 
nobody is um, nobody's really the lead dog over anybody else. You're all you're all pulling in the same direction. Um, the, and obviously the you know the the pace of working on video games is a lot different. Uh, you're you're working on stuff for a year or two years to get it to come to fruition. In a comic, you're done in a couple you know you're done in a couple months, and the thing comes out, and you're you're on to the next one. Um, one of the one of the eye-opening things for me working on working on Skylanders was that we would we would work on a on a particular level with characters and designs and environments and all that, and I would sit with the level designers and we'd go over what um, kind of where where the thing was headed and and what sort of information needed to be conveyed in the dialogue, and um, we they would you know the designers would work on that. For a few weeks, I would write the dialogue. Sometimes we'd get the dialogue recorded, um, you know, in in rough dialogue to see how it fit, and then it would be passed up the chain for approval. And maybe they decided there there was a better way to do that level. There was a there was a different environment they wanted, or different characters, or a different different approach to it. And everything that you had worked on for three weeks was just tossed, <laughs> uh, so that you could you could take another stab at it and, and do better. Um, and it's certainly in comics, that's not the way it works. I mean, once the, to great extent, once the page is drawn, it's done and you just keep going because that deadline train is always nipping at your heels. So you can't in comics, you can't really afford to do a bunch of work that, um, that you decide, nah, I'm not going to use that and toss it out and start all over again. Um, cause certainly that's, that's not how you get paid either. I mean, you get, you get paid, you get paid once in comics. Well, and your margins are slimmer, right? I mean, you know, the, the you're not spending near as much money producing a comic as you are producing a video game. Oh yeah, obviously. Right. And the, yeah. you know, there's there's budget for you to do stuff over again. And and the the first experience I had with that when we, you know, we worked on level for like two and a half or three weeks, and um, you know, I come into the office the next week and find out that it's been you know passed up the chain, and they decided, well, you know what, we we don't want to. We don't want that level at this place. We want it in a different place. We're going to have to scrap it and start over. And everybody was like, "Oh man, let's let's make sure the comic guy's not upset about this." <laughs> and uh, and I was kind of like, "Well, wait a minute. I, like, you paid me to do the work that I did, and now you're going to pay me again to do it over again." I'm like, "This is great. It's fine." <laughs> you know, because because frankly, you know, in comics, most of the time for you don't get paid for revisions. Um, right. it's just part of the process. So, uh, I was totally cool with, with how that all worked out. Um, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a different world certainly. And, um, at least I can speak for, uh, to my experience at Vicarious Visions. Um, they treat the employees great They're You know, they really, um, go out of their way to, um, to make sure everybody's kind of pampered and, and taken care of. Certainly there are crunch times when you're, when you're in the office for, you know, 14, 16, 18 hours a day when you got to get something done and it's got to, it's got to be ready to go. Um, so there are, you know, there are certainly times when, um, you know, there's a, they, there's food that comes in and there's, there's dinner catered every night for the people that are going to stay late. And, um, it's a really, um, it, it's, it was an eye opening experience for, you know, somebody coming out of the trenches of comics just to see how, how the other half lives really. <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, diamond distributing is, is shut down for the moment. Most uh, comic retailers are shut down because they can't get new product because DC and Marvel and the other publishers really don't have a way of, of getting their print books out. But we know that Kickstarter isn't closed down. And uh, you've got a new Kickstarter coming out, I understand. Demigod, can you talk to us about that? Uh, Demigod is out and funded and done, which oh, – which Why did is, I think that that was a new Kickstarter? Which I is, apologize. That's quite all right. Um, we uh, Demigod is actually the the continuation or the conclusion of the series that we started at IDW and kind of got off uh, got off track and off schedule doing other things. So we got back to it, finished up the story, and um, what we just kickstarted was the uh, was the 144 page collection that has everything in it. So it's uh, Four issues of comics by me and Andy Smith, um, extra stories, uh, cover gallery, sketchbook, all the bells and whistles we could put on it. Um, so that's so that we had I mean, we've had the issues in the can for a while and we just thought, all right, well, let's you know, let's let's just put the whole thing out at once um, rather than going issue by issue. And uh, we, we you know, we basically kickstarted it to cover the to cover the printing cost and uh Thankfully, we we covered the printing costs, so now we gotta so now we gotta find some place to print it, and that's that's obviously a a more complex question than it was a month ago. Sure. So, uh, do you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna so you have you don't have a relationship yet with a publisher for it? No, we're just gonna put it out ourselves as Ominous Press, and uh, you know if you got in on the Kickstarter, great. If you didn't, we should have some extra copies of it um, on the website or at conventions. Um, but again, it's, you know, some of it's dependent on, on exactly how printers are going to be running over the next, you know, month or two. Sure. And you know, who knows who's going to be around after all of that, who was able to, to stay around, right? Well, it's, you know, everybody's like, like we discussed earlier, it's, everybody's just kind of wondering, right. How is this going to work? Um, and, and certainly, uh, we've, we've had a number of our books printed, overseas because the you know the margins are much better and mm-hmm. uh you know the, the the cost of the cost of printing is quite a bit cheaper if you print in china or in south korea uh, or even in in india but certainly you have to you have to build that into your time frame because it, i mean you it's literally shipped on a slow boat from china right it, you know gets here to the west coast and then gets put on a truck and and uh shipped out to our offices in Buffalo and then the Kickstarter rewards go out. Um, so I, you know, we, we have to see exactly how this is going to work for, for, for Demigod because this wasn't really the situation when the Kickstarter initially went up. Um, so, uh, my guess is that we'll probably, uh, we'll probably end up printing it domestically, um, just to take some of the guesswork out of it as soon as we can find, a place that uh, is open domestically. And Paul, I think you had a question. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about you know, Demigod is one of the ominous press books, and we you know we've dropped the ominous press name a couple times since starting this conversation. So, can you talk to me a little bit about the ominous press model? And and so, ominous press is you know it's it's. Well, actually, I guess I should ask you. Uh, some books are published via IDW. Some books are published via Kickstarter. Um, can you talk to me about the model and kind of the 
kind of the vision for Ominous Press and what you guys are, are, are intending through that through that company? Um, it's it's really kind of on a project by project basis in terms of where where it goes to be published. Um, I think uh, I think we're probably going to do more of it ourselves uh, in terms of you know Kickstarter and then self self publishing uh, because frankly the you know the financials are just a little bit better for that. Um, you you do all the work yourself, but you you keep all the money. You're not splitting it with with anybody else. Um, the and you know the Kickstarter makes makes a lot of this stuff possible. Kickstarter um, means you can you can fund the production of your book while you're doing the book. Uh, and you know Demigod was a little bit different case because we had the stuff done already. Uh, and we're just looking to cover the printing costs. But, you know, in a, in a traditional Kickstarter model, you can do, you know, 10, 12 pages or whatever you feel like you need to have for the campaign. Put the campaign up. And if you hit your, you know, if you hit your goal, you know that you've got your production. You know, if, if you're paying attention to the numbers, you've got your production costs and your printing costs uh, covered at that point. So who all's, who all's a part of Ominous Press? Uh, Ominous Press is... Is uh, our CEO is Sean Husfar, who's uh, somebody I've known for more than twenty years, really. Um, and Bart Sears, uh, artist writer Bart Sears, and Andy Smith is the art director. And uh, Keith Champagne, who is an anchor and writer, also works with us um, on some of the logistics, and uh, and we'll probably be bringing some of his his own books into the stable. Um, and then we have, you know, relationships with other freelancers that um, that we've we've worked with over the years. You know, Tom Ranney, uh, Rick Leonardi, and the I guess the 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 marquee name is Jim Starlin. And uh, actually, before we get into to Jim Starlin, because we definitely that's definitely one of the big reasons we're talking today. Um, you know, I just want to. I'm doing a plug for for your stuff, uh, ominouspress.com. And the reason I, I want you guys who are listening to this to check it out is, one, they've got Monster Island by Graham Nolan on there, um, which is a, you know, a pretty spectacular visual book. I'm a big Graham Nolan fan. But there's also Beast of the Black Hand, which was a, a – it, it came out a few years back. And it's just an excellent graphic novel. features art by Matthew Dow Smith, very moody um, – if you're a horror fan, you know, really just a strong, strong work. Um, it's available digitally and in print. Um, and, you know, uh, Omnis Press has kind of a, before we get into the Dreadstar Jim Starlin stuff, has kind of its own superhero universe, right? It's, you know, it's got the the Dread Gods, um, the Demigod. There, there, there is a, a connection in that superhero universe. And most of that stuff that is connected is also published via IDW, right? Um, the, right. The, the demigod, the dread gods, like that superhero universe um, stuff is connect is collected or at least published there. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the ominous universe for lack of a better word mm -hmm. is, um, is, you know, concepts that Bart Sears originated um, and then, Kind of let me come in and play with them. So that's uh, demigod, dread gods, and Bart's giant killer. So all of that stuff mm. has connections, though it can certainly be read um, separately. Uh, uh, we, that was one of the, 
that was one of the goals when we started this is that, you know, if you if you wanted to read everything and you could see then you could see the the connections, you could see the strings that kind of attached one property to another that were subtle. Um, if that's your thing, awesome. But if you're just I this is the story that I want to read and I'm not into the other stuff, it all works just it all works fine by itself, too. But we have we have that corner of the ominous of the ominous press family. And then we have stuff like, um, like beast of the black hand, which is a completely separate, uh, entity. That's from a concept by my sculptor buddy, Paul Harding. Um, we have, uh, Harkins Raiders, which is a world war two story. I just did with Daryl banks, who was my green lantern, uh, artist for, mm-hmm. for seven years. Um, and Dar- Paul Harding, uh, you know, it just, if you follow along on, uh, Twitter, uh, at Harding Art, he does a lot of the sculptures for the DC collectible statues, and they're just—he he does such fantastic work. Um, he's really good. I mean, he's—he's he's one of my best buddies, so I don't really want him to hear me say this, but he's <laughs> actually really good at what he does. And it was—it was a pleasure to work with him and Matt, who was also, you know, he's also like one of my one of my best friends mm-hmm. on Beast of the Black Hand. Just kind of. You know, getting together with your buddies and making a thing, and then um, thanks to Kickstarter and Ominous Press, being able to get it into people's hands. So Kickstarter, well, and Aaron, I don't want to jump ahead. This is this is Aaron's jam. Um, but now that we're getting into Kickstarter, now that we're we're getting into the Kickstarter, that um, as of the time that everyone is listening to this, the Kickstarter should be live. Um, it goes live Tuesday, April fourteenth. And Ron, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, the Jim Starlin Dreadstar Kickstarter. I believe there are uh, a few things running through that Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, by the time you guys hear this, this it should unless something's gone horribly, horribly wrong, the Kickstarter should be live. Um, so it's uh, it's Dreadstar Returns. It's a hundred-page graphic novel, um, the first new Dreadstar story in I think more than three decades. Um, so uh, last year, we, uh, we being Ominous Press, um, did a, a, an omnibus collection of all of Jim's Dreadstar material. Uh, Those are gorgeous, by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, we, we, were, we were very pleased with how they came out. Um, Jim remastered virtually everything. We went through and fixed typos. We fixed stuff in balloons. We fixed color. Um, we fixed you know color mistakes that we weren't happy with. Um, and that was virtually all Jim doing all that stuff. Jim Starlin himself going through uh, 1,500 pages of his some of his best work and making it even better, making it just you know just the way he wanted it. Um, so we did a three three volume set um, that goes through all of the all of the Jim Starlin stuff, everything he wrote, everything he he drew uh, on Dreadstar, uh, start to finish. So what is live now is, uh, Dreadstar Returns, which is a 100 page graphic novel that is written by Jim Starlin and is also drawn by Jim Starlin. Um, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the big headline is that, that Jim Starlin is drawing again after a number of years where he did not think he was ever going to draw again because of an accident he suffered, to his drawing hand and just, you know, sort of had lost the ability to, uh, to draw at the level that he was happy with. Uh, but he's been working at it, um, a few years now to get himself 
back into drawing shape. He drew he drew some covers. He drew covers for the Dread Star Omnibus uh, set. He drew artwork for the uh, for the slipcase that uh, fits all the Omnibus books. And little by little, he got his he got his drawing skills back. Uh, really, you know, through through rehab and through a lot of uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, got himself back to where he could be drawing interior pages. So, uh, so Jim is well on his way through uh, drawing a hundred page graphic novel that brings back Dreadstar and the entire cast. So I have to I have to tell you I have been a Dreadstar fan since uh, Metamorphosis Odyssey back in the pages of, of Epic Illustrated. Uh, I absolutely love uh, Vance Dreadstar and loved all of the original Jim Starlin books and am just super excited to see that uh, the day has finally come that we get more Dreadstar. Well, it's you know I've known that. I've known for a while that Jim's been drawing. So, uh, uh, he, he showed me the first, you know, the first batch of pages that he, that he did, you know, last year. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, I've known that this has been coming for a while and, uh, it's, it's like having a really cool secret. You can't tell anybody. Uh, So, so does the new book incorporate any of the stories that were not written by Jim Starlin? Like, you know, Peter David had a run or does it just, is all of that kind of considered non-canonical and it's just, well, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't incorporate any of that stuff, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't put the lie to it either. Um, gotcha. This is just, this is Dreadstar and his, and his, uh, and his crew, Dreadstar and company, um, you know, a few years down the road, Oh, that's great. Uh, and it, and it, you know, it picks up at a, it picks up like where, where they all are. They're all in different places. And, and the, the story ends up bringing them all back together. And, um, man, it's, it's, it's primo Jim Starlin stuff. Uh, certainly, you know, Jim, Jim is one of my best friends and I'm also a huge fan of what he does. So I think to a certain extent you have to, uh, you have to take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, but, um, it's, it's really, really good looking stuff. Uh, there are, you know, there are pages, uh, there are pages on the Kickstarter page. Uh, we'll be releasing more pages as we go, um, through the campaign. It just, it looks terrific. Uh, Jim is, uh, Jim is penciling, writing, penciling and coloring the book. Uh, so these are Starlin's colors as well. Uh, the inks are by, uh, Jamie Jameson, and the whole thing just <clears throat> just looks terrific. I'm really, really, um, I'm really, really proud actually of of being able to to get this book uh, in in front of people because I think uh, it's you know when I was a kid, look, Dreadstar was one of my favorite stories too, uh, mm-hmm. and um, it's really cool to kind of see all this come full circle, particularly with Jim. Uh, back at the drawing board. Uh, it's been yeah, a, that's a huge win. I mean, you know, when, it's been a when long word bro- and yeah, uh, when word broke that he had injured his hand, I mean, that was a huge loss to, to you know to this hobby that we love so much, this genre that we love so much, and and to you know artists and and those who appreciate it. I I was I, I was shocked and appalled and and saddened when I heard that you know he had injured his hand uh, and wasn't going to be able to draw. So you know when word broke. Was it a year ago or more that you know he was he was drawing again and that you know he was producing uh, you know 
to as you said, you know, uh, artwork that was up to his standards. It was super exciting. Well, he was, you know, Jim was doing covers little by little, and and then, um, and honestly, when he when he uh, when he approached this graphic novel, uh, he got a ways into it uh, before he decided that this was actually going to work. Um, mm-hmm. He sat down and tried it and said, "Let's let's see how it goes." And um, and he uh, he didn't want me to tell anybody for you know for quite a while uh, that that he was he was drawn again because he didn't want to get to a point you know, he didn't want to get thirty pages into it and go oh man this is this is too hard I can't do this anymore yeah. um, so uh, and and he is well past the halfway point at this at, at this stage um, and and certainly with you know with everybody on lockdown. Uh, you know, I talked to Jim the other day and he's like, I, I got nothing else to do. I'm sitting here drawing all day, all day, every day. Uh, you know, there's there's no conventions to go to. There's there's, you know, there's no dinners to go have down at the at the, at Jim's favorite restaurant down the street from his house. Um, we're all just doing what we do. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to to have this uh, to have this become a reality because for a while we weren't we weren't exactly sure that it was going to, that it was going to happen. Um, we had yeah. for a while, we, I, Jim and I discussed it and, and, you know, there was definitely going to be, um, there were definitely going to be more dread star stories. Uh, but initially the thinking was that, um, we needed to find somebody else to draw it. And, right. and I actually talked to a couple of different artists about, Hey, would you, you know, when we get to that point, would you be interested in drawing uh, the next dread star story? And everybody I talked to said, yes. Uh, and then I had to tell them, well, oh, your, your services are no longer required. We got some, <laughs> we got some guy named Starlin to draw this. <laughs> so can you talk at all about, uh, you know, any of the, uh, backer rewards, uh, for this project? Um, well, you know, this one, we, we kept this one relatively simple. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're putting up the, a hardcover 100 page, Dread Star story written and drawn by Jim Starlin. We figured, well, you know, that's pretty good. You don't need a whole lot of, you know, you don't need to gild that lily a whole lot. Um, the the companion to the hundred page graphic novel is a one hundred page uh, Dread Star guidebook uh, mm-hmm. that is essentially um, it's essentially a who's who or handbook of the Marvel Universe style book that um, that has gone through. Uh, that has gone through all of the Dreadstar stuff, uh, all of Jim's Dreadstar stuff, and um, and the the writer on it is Bob Greenberger, uh, former, oh, yeah. former DC editor and basically the dean of any of these kind of projects. Bob's the one who was the mastermind behind uh, Who's Who of the DC Universe, and he's done the, you know, he's done a bunch of of books that have this sort of. Uh, comic scholar bent to them uh you know the batman guidebook and wonder woman and just mm-hmm. so many different books there you know if you the guy to go to when you want characters and comics researched and then written up in a guidebook is bob greenberg and i've known bob for you know good lord probably longer than either one of us want to admit um <laughs> when bob was up at was up at dc um so i you know i got in touch with bob and said look you're you're the only guy who could do this, because God forbid I have to. That wouldn't go well. Um, and 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 actually, Bob just turned in the manuscript for the entire book uh, three days ago. So oh, awesome. 
Um, and it's and it's awesome. It's it's you know, Bob went through and read every single issue, got all the details, got all the characters, all the locations, all the cool stuff that's in that's been in you know in Dreadstar. And uh, our designer Phil Smith is going through and putting together the book now. Um, there are some sample pages on the on the Kickstarter uh, campaign, and it just it looks great. So we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a bunch of uh, a bunch of you know biographical entries, um, other odds and ends, a bunch of cool artwork that uh, has been rarely seen in different places. Um, so that's really the, the the heart of the campaign is. Uh, 100 pages of new Dreadstar story and 100 pages of Dreadstar guidebook. Uh, beyond that, we still have um, volumes one, two, and three of the Dreadstar Omnibus. Uh, we still have some slipcase versions of the Dreadstar Omnibus, uh, which are are frankly going like hotcakes. So I would, you know, this is this isn't a sales pitch. This is a <laughs> if, you, if you really want the slipcase, you should probably get it now uh, because. There aren't that many left uh, in the warehouse. Um, we have uh, we have a bunch of different uh, reprint variant covers. We're calling them legacy covers uh, on Dreadstar number one. Uh, some of which were part of the previous campaign, and some of which are new. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, Bart Sears, George Perez, Derek Robertson, uh, Patrick Zercher. Uh, the new ones are. Uh, uh, let me see Richard Pace and Jamal Eigel, both of whom did really, really cool images. Um, and then uh, and then we're doing some sketch cover rewards um, that are obviously one of a kind on on Dreadstar sketch covers. And those are going to be by artists, including uh, Dan Panosian, Derek Robertson, Rick Leonardi, Mark Laming, Tom Nguyen. Uh, and I'm forgetting I'm forgetting a couple guys, but though we'll be adding those to the campaign over the month long life of the campaign. Uh, so those will go up and and ideally uh, they will they will sell pretty quickly because uh, we've got some really nice pieces coming in. What time on the 14th is this going up? Um, <clears throat> by the time anybody wakes up on the 14th, it'll be live. Uh, awesome. The the uh, the plan is to. And not that everything works like clockwork all the time, but uh, we should be launching uh, basically right after midnight on the 14th um, or after after uh, after midnight on the 13th, really. Um, so we, get the, we get the full day on the 14th. So do you have an anticipated release date for the uh, print book? Um, we would. The, the plan is September. Um, we'd like to have it in in backers hands by uh, September or October, but again, everything's sort of malleable right now because we don't know we don't know what kind of printing schedules we're going to be looking at when all of this is is over or still in process. Um, obviously, there are going to be a lot of there's going to be a huge backlog of comics that are going to need to be printed. Uh, right. So, um, our our best estimate is um, we'd like to have this in everybody's hands late September or into October. Um, but, uh, you know, knock wood, bear with us. Um, yeah. we're, you know, it's, it's probably got more to do with the, with the printing aspect than it does with the production aspect because, uh, Jim has always been a deadline machine and this, this is no different. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's banging out, uh, pages at a, 
at a regular clip and everything's looking really good. Well, I, I'm, I plan to uh, kick in, you know, first thing in the morning. Uh, I am super excited about this. You know, Paul will tell you I have been nattering on about nothing else other than, uh, you know, Jim Starlin's going to be drawing some Dreadstar. So uh, I am I am pretty damn excited about this. <clears throat> well, you know, once we once we stop recording, maybe, you know, a guy that would show you some pages ahead of time. Uh, that would be so cool. I would love that. Well, actually, before we wrap up, I, I you know, I was very much looking forward to Awesome Con next month in Washington, D.C., uh, not just because, you know, present company was going to be there, but my other favorite, Ron, Ron Lim, was going to be there, uh, you know, probably the most the closest convention I can think of that he's attended. Now, obviously, Awesome Con has been delayed until December, uh, you know, ho- hopefully. Uh, but, you know, right now the plan is December. Do you think you'll be uh, visiting on that re, re you know, that rescheduled date or? Yeah, I've already I've I've agreed to and signed the contract. So they're stuck with me now. Oh, uh, OK. Well, so, yeah, so, the, so the plan is, uh, uh, again, nobody knows nothing. Right. Uh, but yeah, the plan, exactly. Uh, the plan is that I will be at Awesome Common come in December. Um uh, I was I was really looking forward to it. Um, next month, I like I like Washington as a city, and I was going to hang around for another day or two to to go see you know to go see some of the monuments and the the Smithsonian museums because I haven't been down in a while. Um, so, um, but I guess I'll do that with an overcoat on. Uh, yeah, it, I, I, you know I have to say, even though you know May is a, of course a, a lovely time of year to visit DC, it'll be a little chillier in December, of course. But I'm not mad at uh, at December, you know, for a convention experience in Washington D.C. You know, things are decorated for the holidays. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely planning on attending. It's my birthday weekend, so nothing will oh, keep awesome. me away from it. So, yeah. so really, really, we just moved this for you, is what you're saying? I, that was really my thinking. I mean, I created the virus just to make this happen. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Matt. We appreciate that. <laughs> hey, no problem. Uh, it's I, you know, I'm looking forward to. I I really am looking forward to any convention. Frankly, because I've yeah. I've now had uh, quite a few that got either moved or canceled um, because of this, and and certainly look, it's it's understandable. It's mm-hmm. it's frankly the only decision that anybody can make right now. Um, okay. you, you, there's no there's no way you're going to be able to do this, and I, I don't even know if if the shows that I've agreed to do that have now been moved back to later in the summer. I don't know if those are going to come off. You just there, there's so many unknowables out there. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully all of these shows um, do get rescheduled and we can still do them. Uh, certainly, I'm going to have a very busy second half of the year in terms of oh, yeah. uh, uh, convention appearances if if everything goes off the way it's supposed to. I I had a really busy second half of 2019 in terms of conventions. I think I did. At one point, I did six weekends in a row, which was certainly wow. not certainly not the plan that I had outlined. Uh, but that's just how it sort of unfolded as other other shows got added in, and you know, somebody says, "Hey, do you want to you know do you want to go to Saudi Arabia for a long weekend?" Uh, you go, "Okay, I think I can do that," uh, or or Malta. Uh, that one got tossed in too, so. Um, I was I was on the road a lot, um, and but thankfully, you know, the airlines have extended my frequent flyer miles, so I'm not getting I'm not getting gypped out of those. <laughs> Wahoo! Go. 
So uh, ominouspress.com, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about the books coming out on there. Uh, Kickstarter, obviously, look up Dreadstar, D-R-E-A-D, star, um, on Kickstarter. We'll put a link in the show notes on iomgeek.com. Um, any place else we can check out your, your, your upcoming work, Ron? Uh, I'm trying to think of what's been announced and what hasn't. Um, yeah, there, and, there's and, that, right? <laughs> and, and frankly, you know, even if it's been announced, it's kind of like, oh, we don't really know if that's happening. Um, I do know that the the Green my story with Daryl Banks and the Green Lantern 80th anniversary special is is uh, is moving forward because oh, yeah. Daryl just finished drawing the last page of it. Now, um, I'm not 100 percent certain of of what the release is. Now, it was supposed to be out in May, but we'll see what happens. Um, it was it was great to uh, to go back to Kyle, uh, write the character again, and be working with Daryl again. And I honestly think this is one of Daryl's best art jobs ever. He really just drew the hell out of this story. Um, I'm excited to see that Kyle is absolutely my Green Lantern. So uh, really excited to hear that. Well, it's um, Daryl really really outdid himself on this story. Uh, I tried to come up with as many cool things as possible for him to draw, and he really, really knocked it out of the park. He, uh, this is uh, this is one of um, one of Daryl's first jobs drawing digitally. Um, he actually switched over to drawing digital for the Harkins Raiders graphic novel that he and I did for Ominous, and through that graphic novel, you can sort of see him getting a little bit more comfortable with the tools uh, and working digitally. And I think. Um, I think this Green Lantern story is is a real uh, is a real showcase for what he can do with the tool. Um, That's great. It's uh, it's really just spectacular looking, and uh, I and I would show you pages if I could, but I really can't. Uh, <laughs> they, they 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 guard those jealously, but um, I think everybody's going to be really impressed with uh, the way it looks when it comes out. Hey, I've got one last question for you. Yeah. You know, the last time we talked, you know, way back when, uh, you and I talked about Shinko and, and, you know, I had shared, you know, my abiding love for, for that book. Is there anything on the horizon for Shinko? Um, what's on the horizon is my undying love for that character and concept and the fact that we will at some point get back to it. Um, I can't tell you when, um, but uh, we have issue six is done. Issue seven is mostly drawn. So, um, you know, at some point uh, when when everybody's schedules line up and when um, when we can make it happen, uh, I would certainly like to um, get back with Lee Motor and get some more of that stuff uh, into the marketplace. Even if we just come back and do like an entire collected edition of of the next five issues uh sort of do the, do the collection at once and, and skip the regular issues. But there are certainly more stories to tell. Um, and, uh, and it's always, you know, it's always kind of floating around out there in, uh, in Hollywood to see if, to see if, you know, it's been, it's been pitched at a few different places and it gets close and then it doesn't get close. And so, um, you know, it's, it's one that's near and dear to my heart. So hopefully at some point, um, uh, we get, uh, we get some time and we get some, uh, we we you know we we get some runway to 
to do the next batch of issues. Yeah, I absolutely love that book, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that it, that uh, it's special to you. Uh, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, before too long, we'll get to hear about either a Hollywood project or a and or a uh, Kickstarter to uh, you know do the the uh, original graphic novel that you guys let's put together, let's, so. let's be greedy. Let's do both of those things. Yeah, I agree. And let's do both. That's both. Well, Ron, thank you so much for for spending some time with us tonight and uh, talking to us about uh, your projects. It's it's always fun chatting with you, and, I, and I'm sorry it's been so long since we've had you on. No problem, guys. It's a it's a pleasure. Uh, let's not let's not wait so long uh, between between appearances next time and uh, all things being equal uh, I'll have a beer with you guys in December podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com funny books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com no Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast The, uh, the whiskey on the docket tonight. It's called uh, the Whistler. It's Irish whiskey that was introduced to the states, I think, back in February. Mm, okay, and it was recommended by the local liquor store, um, which was pretty picked over. I would imagine, uh, as you might suspect. So he's like, "This one's pretty good." So it turns out he was right. Well, I, I really appreciate that uh, here in Texas liquor stores are considered essential services so uh, yes they are here too <laughs> i think uh pennsylvania may have missed the boat on that one i think they're the only one who actually shut down their liquor stores that is just crazy. Oh, really? i'd have to move like immediately <laughs> like in the middle in the middle of the virus i'd have to move um i asked the dude like how you know how how's business and he said there's been no drop off whatsoever yeah uh, so maybe it's maybe it's even a little up he said I got to tell you, you know, sheltering in place has really increased my drinking. I, I, I it is a, a shameful number of bottles have appeared in the recycling bin. <clears throat> there's, there's not much else to do, is there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>